listen. If you just nailed, you know, the lyric of the future to the church door, it'd be a very dismal little document. But, you know, this lyric is married to a hot little dance track, and the dance track is married to a, you know, sinister little funny lyric. But the lyric dissolves into the music, and the music dissolves into the lyric, and you're left with fresh air. You're left with a sense of invigoration. It's refreshment. It's a kind of psychic refreshment. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Callum and David's Any Requests podcast. Hello, welcome. Uh, so, yeah, this week uh, we have a very special request uh, from my very own lovely mother. I love this request. Yeah. It's really, and also, um, your mum isn't a kind of religious follower of the Jonathan Creek podcast no. necessarily. Um, but just is a huge um, fan of this person's work who we're going to yeah. talk about. Um, and it, it's a real lovely opportunity. Absolutely, yeah. So uh, she has asked us to uh, talk about Leonard Cohen, uh, specifically uh, the humour of Leonard <laughs> Cohen. Um, of course, uh, someone uh, famously always referred to as you know, the crown prince of melancholy and <laughs> yeah. music to slit your wrists by was the famous phrase that yeah. got bandied around a lot um i think there's uh it's in um uh, penny royal tea the nirvana song kurt cobain sings uh, something like give me a leonard cohen afterlife so i can sigh eternally uh, and right, uh, yeah ob- there's obviously there's always been uh that um conception uh of uh his uh music and his work being very dark and depressing mm-hmm. and and although it does explore uh, explore darker parts definitely of life it's actually you know for people that really know the music people that really listen real fans of his i think would say his stuff is very uplifting it's very full of wit and and wry humor and satire mm-hmm. um and and hope and joy and all those things as well um so uh yeah uh mum being a, a absolute huge Leonard Cohen fan. I mean, my my earliest musical memory is, is mm-hmm. that of listening to Leonard Cohen songs. Um, you know, so I very much grew up uh, with his work, listening to his work. Although, as you do when you're a kid, you tend to kind of rail against what your parents are interested in, and you go I, through I those was phases. asking you about this, yeah, uh, uh, because my parents um, are similar age to your parents, and uh, very much aware of Leonard Cohen. And I I, I grew up around knowing that my mum had been a huge fan of Leonard yeah. Cohen, but it was never playing in the house. And so I never really, listening to it wasn't a rebellion of something my parents liked, mm. but you were saying that actually appreciating it for firsthand for the first time is when you were a little bit older. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think that's also to do with the kind of style of the music uh, that he was, you know, that that that, that he recorded um, was just something that I think you have to be a little bit older to, and mature to appreciate the... The poetry and the lyricism and and, and things like that and it, yeah certainly it was something probably realistically probably not until i was in my kind of early 20s that i really started properly listening to to his work and it's, really appreciating it i could compare it almost to like um watching uh, films that are meant to be classics and then mm. you watch them and you go oh this is so slow and boring when you're like mm. 12 yeah and then you watch it again when you're 20 and you go oh no now i have an attention span this is genius yeah 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 uh, but there are some things that just aren't designed for children and i think Lennon cohen isn't at all absolutely um, yeah. kid friendly whereas some other kind of great songwriters from that era are a lot more uh, accessible accessible yeah if you play a, a six-year-old Johnny Mitchell they're gonna dance around the room yeah. you know uh, if you play them Leonard Cohen they're probably not gonna <laughs> appreciate it on the same level yeah yeah although I yeah I mean I don't know having said that I think I I, I remember 
I remember enjoying the musicality of some of of some of the songs. Like, I mean, Suzanne is you know structurally musically very similar to a lullaby. Actually, if you think mm. about the the melody yeah. lines in that song, um, and 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 Bird on a Wire similar. Um, so I don't know. Yeah. Um, but 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 yeah, I think definitely you'd be hard pressed to find especially kind of teenage years people yeah. really um getting into it unless i think you are a serious musician i mean it's it, it, it he's you know when i was doing my research the word that kept coming up again and again and you know people like dylan people like bono mm. using the word prophet a lot mm. when talking about cohen saying yeah. he was this musical prophet and, and he seems to be um more I'm, there's a great quote uh i found um uh, saying more revered than bought yeah um, i absolutely which yeah, uh, is that. is i think yeah because within you know people that really know music whether that's you know you're you're a, a musician yourself or a music historian or you know uh in the words of uh john cusack in hypedality a professional appreciator <laughs> yeah. of music um you know i think you get him but but he, he's never managed i think to be pervasive in the in the wider kind of context of the world in in ways like some of his contemporaries have been um, yeah and but i think also it's interesting working with a lot of pro musicians who might be absolutely incredibly talented and can you know dance up and down a fretboard on a guitar or you know concert level pianists a lot of them really know their leonard cohen and their bob dylan yeah and i think you hear quite a lot of people going, oh, well, they weren't singers, they were poets. Mm -hmm. And actually what I think is more interesting is that real high-level musicians who are expert in melody and, you know, really accomplished, really revere, as you say, these yeah. artists because they know how music and lyrics can be so powerful when intertwined. Mm. And um, I think that that is very, very true when you look at how Leonard Cohen got into writing music yeah. in the first place. Yeah. Um, not thinking he was a very good musician, mm. talking about how he had a horrible voice, he couldn't play yeah. guitar, and then one of his first songs uh, being Suzanne. Yeah. And you just think, well, that's incredible, but I know what he means. Yeah. He's not an accomplished singer. No. But that's what's beautiful about yeah. it, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, yeah, so uh, we're going to kind of have a look at a few songs. Callum and I have chosen three songs each that we think are really good examples of the sort of humour um and the satire and the wit that can be found in some of cohen's work um but for those of you who don't know a lot about him um or you know people that are coming to this podcast because they're the jonathan creek one maybe uh this is your kind of first time properly being introduced to leonard cohen just going to run through a kind of brief biography so you get a bit of context mm. of, of of who he was he was born in uh, september 1934 in montreal uh in canada uh, to a middle-class jewish family um and very much um, uh, his his family, his mum, all these people were in the kind of literati of yeah. of uh, uh, Quebec kind of uh, culture and life. And so very much grew up uh, in a very cultured kind of environment. Um, now, a lot of people think that uh, uh, Cohen was a writer and a poet first and then moved into music. But that's actually not true. He started playing guitar at the age of 13 and he was right. in a country and western band <laughs> that used to play square dances. Um, I really uh, want to hear a, a, a country and western set yeah. with the voice of Leonard Cohen. Yeah, That'd they, be great. they were called the Buckskin Boys. 
great. Um, and um, and yeah, apparently yeah, used to go around playing local square dances and were very oh. traditional country and western. Um, uh, but then yeah, he he kind of um, got more into poetry. Went to Columbia for a bit to study English, but dropped out. Um, but he got a grant, a poetry grant, uh, from the uh, uh, Canadian government, and he used that along with some inheritance to move to Hydra, yeah. uh, island in Greece, where he was uh, famously for about seven years. And it was this real commune of of artists and writers um, and musicians, all kind of living together. And... It, it sounds like a magical place. Yeah, I mean, when we were talking uh, at length. Um... Uh, the other night, uh, after watching a, a great documentary, mm. we referred to quite a lot called Lenny, Len- Leonard and Marianne, um, uh, by Nick Broomfield, who is just an incredible, you know, rockumentary maker. Yeah. Um, but it does really capture that time of what was going on on that island of Hydra or Hydra, as they uh, refer to it. Um, and and it does sound really like you hear the stories of sixties culture. I've never seen so much footage and yeah. so many accounts of something as what now would be considered cliche but then was quite magical yeah um yeah and not necessarily always as i did it because as people remember no no you know i think yeah there was uh, there was a lot of uh recreational drug use a lot of acid being taken and i think that led to um you know because there were a lot of kids around as well mm. people bringing up families and stuff in this kind of commune life and you know in the, in the documentary, a couple of the 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 kids that were there at the time, people that knew them, were saying there was you know things being you know kids accidentally drinking acid that you know where, where drinks had been spiked with it and things like that. Um, lots of of open marriages, but then when you dug deeper in the surface, actually were they open? Was were there was a lot of jealousy there? There was a lot of resentment. Mm. I think so. Yeah, absolutely not always a kind of place of light um and i think that's part of the reason why why cohen got out after seven years um, of course the other thing being that he couldn't he he uh, had three books published um and everyone always talks about him like you say as a, mm. as a writer and like an established writer yeah before he went but he wasn't that established he wasn't hugely established. in fact the whole reason he started making music was because he thought he could make more money uh and yeah he just realized it wasn't financially viable for him to keep uh, uh, writing so I mean three books in seven years and only one of those three uh, of the three that were published really um, yeah kind of made anything um, uh, and not necessarily critically it was quite divisive yeah his writing. yeah 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 um, very stream th- of consciousness yeah hard to follow. I think the book was was banned his third book uh, I forget the name of it but it was banned in in certain parts of, of Canada because it was very kind of uh, uh, sexualized and mm. things like that Um <clears throat> um, but a great quote that he said in an interview I was watching where they were kind of saying, you know, what what made you turn to, to music from, from writing? And, and he said um, he said that he didn't. And he said there, there was always an invisible guitar behind everything I wrote. Which uh, I just love yeah. that quote, you know, and, and you can't tell, you know, if you if you look at some of his poems, um, they're they're very much written in in kind of stanza style the way that, yeah. that that you would write a song and so you can see how he transferred so easily to that um, and so it wasn't until after that kind of formative time in hydra that mm. he decided to then leave and he went to new york right yeah <clears throat> he went to new york um well, well via montreal and yeah um, yeah yeah so yeah he, he went to new york in the in the early 70s um and of course, remember he was born in thirty four, so he's already well into his thirties at this point. And 
hanging out with a lot of people that were about 10 years younger than him yeah. at the time. I um, think his first album was when he was 33. Yeah. Um, mm. And I mean, yeah, there's a there's a great quote from a music producer at the time um, who said, turn, turn around, kid, you're too old for this. Or yeah. And, and, and apparently not, not the only one. Like, yeah. A lot of meetings that he had were... Well, aren't you too old to be doing this? Yeah. And also you can remember that that famous phrase in the 60s was don't listen to anyone over 30. Yeah. Like, don't, if you're over 30, you're dead spiritually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. so for him to be going into that world as, you know, spiritually dead and then yeah. becoming prophetic, like yeah. you say, is, is yeah, a nice, uh, a nice um, reminder that age is just a number, guys. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely, yeah. Um. So yeah, so and whilst in New York, he was uh, hanging out a lot with Judy Collins, the folk singer. Um, and she heard Suzanne, the song, and just loved it and said, you've got to come and play at this concert. And Because um, she did record it, didn't she? She recorded it and she said, you've got to come and play with me. And he said, oh, no, I couldn't do that. I'd be far too embarrassed. I can't stand mm. in front of a crowd. And she eventually got him to. And uh, and it happened that there was a uh, rep from Columbia Records at the concert and he got signed off the back of that one appearance. So, you know, Judy Collins hugely... Uh, instrumental in yeah. Cohen's career um getting him to do that initial concert um and and so yeah so he kind of uh uh was pretty prolific throughout the 70s um and then in the in the in the late 70s ended up uh hooking up with Phil Spector uh, uh of course now infamous um for his uh, wall of sound and yeah. for murder. his murder yeah. yeah um so yeah and and that um that album that he did with Phil Spector Death of a Ladies Man is quite kind of derided uh now um although interestingly I know one of your Some, song choices yeah, one is of my from, choices that is album. from that album um and 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 I, I was listening to it yesterday um because it's an album I've not actually listened to that much um and uh and I, I like it. I think I, but I, part of the reason I like it is because it is a curiosity because, yeah. because Leonard Cohen's vocals matched with, you know, Brass yeah, the and... wall of sound, the famous yeah. Phil Spector wall of sound. Um, I mean, for those of you who don't know, think like Mark Ronson, like very much, yeah. you know, influenced by, by Phil Spector's kind of wall of sound in that way. And, and really throwing as as many bodies into into a, a recording booth as possible and getting this yeah really fat kind of sound um but because of that i do think some of the songs are quite fun because uh, and and probably some of the more uplifting certainly yeah. melodically um, it's really fun canon. and possibly less reverent which i think is why people got annoyed by it yeah um, um uh, but yeah but it, it 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 tanked and he became pretty despondent and he uh, didn't release anything from 1983 to 1988 for about five years went on hiatus um and then uh it came back uh with a bank with just two fantastic albums actually uh all three of my song choices are from these two albums mm. um 1988 with i'm your man yeah um uh and uh 1992 with the future um and these... i think i'm your man really solidified yeah I, I don't know if leonard cohen would have been such a cultural phenomenon mm. if it wasn't for that album funnily like i think it just reminded everyone of who yeah. it was and what yeah could do. um and and you know um uh the uh uh the oliver stone film natural born killers came out and used three tracks from oh, wow. from the album and and it was um yeah that really kind of uh put him back into spot for a younger generation at that point as well um so yeah so yeah you you had you know songs like for uh first we take manhattan and and uh, those kind of songs that, that and I'm your man, the the eponymous yeah. uh, 
uh, song from the album. Um, yeah, big big hits. Um, and and this kind of yeah was his kind of second second wind. Uh, uh, and of, of course, of Hallelujah career. as well comes yeah. along. Uh, yes, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hallelujah, we should say, yeah, but it's... Which I mean, most most people at home will, will, will have know the song Hallelujah. Yeah. Um, you know, covered over 300 times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Three, three, 300 covers, it's just insane. And whether you know the Jeff Buckley version, the Alexandra Burke version, the Bob John Dylan, Cage version. John Cage, Rufus Wainwright. I mean, it, yeah. yeah, it goes on so many. But Damien Rice, I believe, had a, a, a hit with it. I mean, yeah, just, just everyone and anyone has done has done a hallelujah katie lang one of the best songs yeah. ever ever written and and um and interpreted by so many but yeah i think uh, if it wasn't for those kind of things that we might not be or we, we were still talking about on this podcast because it was still very much in your yeah. mom's mind but i don't know if yeah i think that being part of the culture and history of america yeah uh despite being canadian you know and yeah. the world um is huge but yeah. at that point he decides not to capitalise on any well, of this that. Is, this is what's really interesting. So the first hiatus he took uh, in the 80s was kind of very much motivated by um, the, 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 the the Phil Spector album and that, that time period. And he talks about Phil Spector putting a gun to his neck and all this stuff. And he, I yeah. think, yeah, just totally didn't want to be part of that world for a while. Um, whereas this... Uh, next hiatus which was another six years from 93 to 99 uh, and he spent the entirety of those six years uh, at a Zen Buddhist retreat um, uh, called Mount Baldy um, uh, in upstate New York I think Amazing. and uh, um, he uh, seemed to be doing it actually because of Hallelujah and and I'm Your Man and these songs, raising his profile and raising the state of celebrity that he felt the need to uh, look inward and mm. and um, kind of be introspective about his career up to that point and and um, yeah, make sure he was in touch with his humility and and reconnecting kind of... with the idea of love and and uh, I think a lot of ideas that were talked about in the sixties yeah. that he felt he was always trying to get hold of. Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, and, and then, then yeah, and then yeah, comes back, um, comes back again in in ninety nine, um, and um, uh, releases uh, ten new songs, which is a great album. Dear Heather, another fantastic album. Um, uh, and then um, yeah, he's kind of making work, touring. Um, about two thousand and six, though, he learns that his manager has basically stolen like all his money. I think it was something like five, five, six million quid, but yeah. possibly more. I think it was about seven. I read right, um, uh, which was essentially yeah his his retirement fund. And, and they everything. were great friends, weren't they? They were, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. She she'd been his manager for many years, and yeah, they were very close. Um, and and I think that really shocked him. And he always said it was not really about the money it was it was kind of a betrayal that yeah. he could never quite get his head around um uh so yes yeah, so that meant in 2009 it kind of it, that forced his hand into going back out and touring and um he started doing you know two-year world tours um, which were just incredible yeah. i have the uh live album of that um because i mm. bought it for my mum because mm -hmm. she wanted to and um and it is a great great fun yeah i mean he's singing a lot of those songs an octave down yeah, or yeah even yeah, like yeah. three octaves down yeah, because yeah, he's yeah. 
he's got this famously low register, which is even lower when he's you know in his seventies. Yeah. Uh, but I think it just adds to it. I, th- yeah. I love it. If you if I love hearing those songs on the original albums and then hearing them on that tour. Yeah. Something amazing about it. But um, I know they were they were estimating that he was he ended up making around about fifty million dollars a year Whoa. from those tours after spending you know. Uh, 30 40 years amassing six or seven million mm. to then start you know doing it as a necessity and then ending up actually you know financially making more money than, than he ever had done before at that time um and i think he it's funny i was i was saying to you when we were watching the documentary the other night you know it feels like he didn't really because he shut himself off you know i was saying it's interesting that the that the period of uh, in the Buddhist retreat was, was would have been about the time when the Buckley Hallelujah came out and yeah. was huge and, and just hit that song into the stratosphere and so it's almost like I don't think he was ever really aware until he started touring again in 09 of, of how iconic him and his songs had become mm-hmm. um, uh, I mean not quite as extreme but it's almost like when you look at uh, uh, Searching for Sugar Man and Rodriguez yeah. you know being totally unaware of, of over in over in South Africa, these these songs being, yeah. you know, absolutely huge. Um, and Another so, great documentary, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> uh, but um, yeah, he he then yeah spent kind of oh uh, nine through to kind of two thousand and twelve ish, pretty extensively touring almost all 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 year, um, doing these yeah as we say multi year tours. Uh, and then, um, yeah, released albums like uh, Old Ideas in 2012 that's uh, got a couple of great, well, again, quite light-hearted ones. Um, what, not any of the ones I've chosen, but there's a, a, a great one that I was considering choosing for a time called uh, uh, Going Home. And it's it's all written in kind of third person about him having a conversation with himself to be someone <laughs> else um, uh, talking about Leonard, a man in a crumpled suit and things like that. And yeah. It's, yeah um, very... Uh, self-aware and self-deprecating um and uh, uh then of course sadly uh, november 2016 passes away at the age of 82 mm-hmm. um uh, about a month after he released his his last album you want it darker um which uh in the grammys the next year won uh, the best album grammy that was the first grammy Amazing. of his career uh, wow the year after he passed away which is uh, yeah a lovely way to go out um so yeah so that's 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 the man amazing man amazing life yeah um love him or hate him yeah massive uh influential figure in both music art culture poetry uh i don't think the world of music or literature would be the same without him yeah um and uh yeah i i think uh, I think that's why it's worth spending a bit of time kind mm-hmm. of i mean that's a very potted history yeah, but yeah, we've yeah. still spoken for you know 20 minutes or so yeah, yeah um but hopefully that encourages you to either go out and learn more about him yeah um but uh but yeah knowing that throughout that kind of massive time yeah he did get this reputation for being um moody and miserable and depressing yeah. music um now is is a, is a chance for us to play you uh some uh, little snippets of songs we'll put lists up of, of what we play yeah. um and uh and then have a little chat about the lighter side of leonard cohen and absolutely. how much that was there absolutely um so do you want to kick off with your first uh yeah so my first choice is a song called chelsea hotel number no. two or commonly known as the chelsea hotel from the album new skin for the old ceremony released in 1974 
And that was Chelsea Hotel number two. Um, I love that song. Yeah. Um, I it's one I picked because I kind of knew it, and and I don't listen to Leonard Cohen that much. So mm-hmm. this this whole podcast led me down a massive Cohen rabbit hole. Mm-hmm. Um, but I kind of went back to it. So it was one of the first ones I listened to, and then I kind of went back to it um, because it just sticks in my mind. And I think. Um, on the surface, it is a really simple song musically. Yeah. Certainly, like it's a little waltz. Um, mm-hmm. There are lots of little hammer-ons and pull-offs that I used to do when I was sixteen in order to sound like I knew more than three chords. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But um, it, it is really simple. But I, I, I love it. Um, I think we should talk a little bit about the Chelsea Hotel. Yeah. Um, for those of you who don't know, Chelsea Hotel is a kind of a famous landmark, mm. not just in New York, but in like the world of music and yeah, creativity. Yeah, 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 yeah. Across the board. Um, so, yeah, Leonard Cohen uh, comes to New York at the age of 33, uh, gets a recording contract and is staying around hotels in New York and mm-hmm. hears that the Chelsea Hotel is the type of place where he might meet might like-minded people. Yeah. Um, and that's exactly what he did. Um, it's uh, 222 West 23rd Street and is kind of famous for being quite a gothic building. It's huge. It's like a 400-room hotel. Yeah. Um, but often people don't refer to it as a hotel, they refer to it as a hostel, which I think is more kind of telling of what it is. Yeah. This place very had very kind of, you were lucky if you had running water and apparently, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, most rooms, the sinks were kind of had red rust kind of around them. Um, but it's famous for having a kind of range of different famous people. Mark Twain, mm-hmm. Charles Bukowski, William S. Burroughs, Jackson Pollock, um, and Arthur Miller, apparently, mm. um, who summed it up quite well um, in a, a Rolling Stone article about it um, yeah. that I found. And he said, no vacuum cleaners, no rules, no shame. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, Arthur C. Clarke wrote Space Odyssey while being wow. there. Jack yeah. Kerouac, uh, Kerouac wrote On the Road while staying there. Sid Vicious, uh, Sid Nancy's uh, tragic uh, visit 10 years later, but still mm-hmm. there. And Dylan Thomas um, actually ended up dying there. Yeah. Um, it was an interesting quote uh, um uh, Leonard Cohen, someone asked him what he was doing at the Chelsea Hotel and he said, oh, I went to find D- Dylan Thomas, but he was dead. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so an amazing community. Yeah. Um, so this song, uh, mm. Leonard says that, my, my mate Leonard, uh, says um, that he just met um, uh, um, Janis Joplin. Janis Joplin. Uh, he just met Janis Joplin um, in kind of by chance. Yeah. Um, and apparently she said, oh, excuse me, I'm looking for Chris Christopherson. Um, <laughs> and he he said, oh, that's funny. I am Chris Christopherson. <laughs> and she obviously knew that he wasn't because yeah. um, they're really different looking people. Um, but apparently she didn't challenge him on it. And then yeah. he said, oh, actually, I was looking for Bridget Bardot. Um, <laughs> and then a quote from him, he said, but we fell into each, other, each other's arms uh, through some process of elimination. <laughs> and this song is kind of what came out of it. Yeah. 
Um, but not at the time. It's it's a few years later that yeah. he that he writes this. Um, so you've got some. Once you know that that song's about Janis Joplin, yeah. who again, yeah. Could for those of you who don't know, I mean, you know, taking a little piece of my heart. And, yeah. Uh, me and Bobby McGee. Mercedes Benz. And, yeah. Um, in fact, actually, I was playing a gig in Holland a couple of years ago mm. with a, a kind of a, a celebration of Woodstock, and I was singing with a Who band. So one of my weird jobs. <laughs> and Janis, the Janis Joplin band was on before us, mm. and they just could not this audience mm. about 800 people just could not wouldn't let her get off the stage yeah and she was good yeah but i mean it's the, it's the songs yeah. that ignite people um the, the spirit of woodstock and of course the 27 club yeah uh sadly yeah. passed away um burnt out but you've got some really funny lyrics in this yeah. because again it sounds like a little whilst it, he is a little you know it's not the most melodic song in the world the way he sings it at least but you've got all these kind of witty little undertones. Yeah. And this is what you're talking about, right? Yeah. I mean, uh, one one of my favourite ones is, uh, you told me again you preferred handsome men, but for me, you'd make an exception. <laughs> yeah. Uh, listening to it again, just then both yeah. of us kind of gave a wry smile. And watching that documentary, I'd never realised how uh, in, kind of obsessed almost that he yeah. was with his own image. And yeah, yeah. He was quite vain, but not in a... Um, a confident way, very much the opposite. Yeah. Um, and so I think he felt quite lucky. And um, I, I actually think that's a, a uh, whether it's intentional or not, it's, um, uh, uh, I never I never forget a face, but in your case, I'll make an exception. Yeah. It's a Groucho Marx <laughs> yeah, quote. Perfect. So I'm wondering if there's a bit of that in there, which is, yeah, just, um, yeah, lovely. And being aware also that she's this huge superstar. Um, and he says quite graphically, giving me head on the unmade bed while the limousines wait in the street. Yeah, it, you know, in this shabby hotel, it probably was quite um, at a you know a weird thing to be happening. Yeah. Um, and and again, summaries of what New York was like. We were running for money in flesh, and that was called love for the workers in song. Probably still is for those of them left. It kind of counteracts the the free love idea that we had in the sixties. Yeah. That he kind of went on to keep pursuing. And he's looking back at that time going, oh, we thought it was love, but actually it was quite a lot about money and sex. Yes. Um, which again is this, it undercuts his own, it's that self-deprecation of undercutting his own thing whilst commenting on a whole movement yeah. in just a couple of lines. Um, another um, uh, kind of thing I love as well, he says at the end, uh, and clenching your fist for the ones like us who were oppressed by the figures of beauty, you're fi- you fixed yourself. You said, well, never mind. We are ugly, but we have the music. Yeah. Uh, just, uh, there's something just so witty about this exchange yeah. um, and quite fast paced. And it feels almost like the sex that you're hearing about yeah. is almost more in the interaction of the two individuals through yeah. wordplay than it is the physical act. Um, yeah. And I, I love um, uh, uh, you got away. I never once heard you say, I need you. I don't need you. I need you. I don't need you. <laughs> yeah. And all of that driving around, uh, especially when, you know, you know what his relationship with his muse, uh, Marianne Illen, was mm-hmm. like. Uh, and, you know, especially watching the documentary, the, the Nick Broomfield one we mentioned earlier, it, it, there was obviously, you know, on they were on and off for about eight years, eight to ten mm-hmm. years. And, and, I, and I wonder if there's some of that in this in terms of, I think, you know, I think he always struggled with 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 how honest she was being about their open relationship and actually if she was happy in that and i think there was times where they resented each other for one not being able to give less the other not being able to mm. give more and i think you know when when you hear 
knowing that and hearing him talking about what's heard you say i need you i don't need you and all of that jiving around <laughs> yeah you know he's saying it was transactional it was you know purely physical it was what it was at the yeah. time and we were both on the same page with it yeah. um i just think you know is very honest um yeah and i i think also being in that environment of the chelsea hotel which is why it's so important that yeah. the refrain keeps coming back because i mean another leonard cohen quote it says uh it was a great place it was the type of place where you could walk in with a bear a midget and three women and no one would say anything <laughs> you know dated a little bit yeah. that quote but still i think sums up the feeling of anyone can be anyone mm-hmm. um you can be dylan thomas you can be bob dylan yeah. and no one's you can be janice joplin yeah. looking for chris christopherson and you can still have these moments of kind of meeting and i also love this kind of really wry um kind of introduction to a wry sense of humor that we're going to have a lot yeah. uh for the rest of this podcast and it just ends the song with that's all i don't think of you that often well you've written a song about her mate and and she's one of the biggest stars in the world so yeah. you probably do think of her yeah that often but by saying so it, you know it's, yeah and I just, I just love that. It just brings a smile. And also what I love is that a lot of Lennon Cohen songs talk about concepts and mm. philosophy and a deep. But this song's about a very short moment. Yeah. And it's just a song that captures a moment in time. And sometimes those are my favourite things. Yeah. You know, great films do it as well sometimes, where it's just a film about a section of a person's life. Yeah. And you don't know what happened before and you don't know what happened afterwards. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Napoleon Dynamite's the one that springs to mind <laughs> for me, funnily enough. Uh, yeah. About being... Schmidt is a good one yeah, for yeah, yeah. comedies. Yeah, just like you say, yeah, you know, you pick it up at a certain point, end at a certain point. No one's made a massive journey, but it's yeah. just been a lovely thing to spend an hour and a half with those people. And and a fly on the wall almost. Yeah. And I think that's what this song kind of encapsulates for yeah. me. Um, and again, it's a reminder that not everything about Cohen is big and deep. And, yeah. you know, sometimes the beauty and the depth is found in one tiny line in a yeah. song that's three minutes long. Yeah. Um, in fact, actually, both you and I uh, said, oh, it's quite short, isn't it, for for him? Yeah, yeah. And then we're talking that that might three be... Three minutes, mis- six seconds. But is um, that a misconception? Well, that- yeah. I mean, uh, we're going to talk about The Future, his 1992 album, in a, in a minute. Um, and uh, that was the first album in 1992 that he released that was actually over an hour long in length. Okay. Um, so yeah, that's interesting when when people, you know. Um, I think they're just referring to Hallelujah, aren't they? Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, there's a there's a quote from um, the fabulous thick of it where Malcolm Tucker says, "I've got a to do list longer than a Leonard Cohen." Album. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. Um, but actually, funny enough, again, is that one of those things that's <laughs> you know kind of become a misconception culturally uh, yeah. and and a- across a broad range of of. Uh, consciousness of that actually being true um so yeah that's just yeah it doesn't upstay its welcome i think really right really um yeah a great a great one to kick off with yeah um so yeah so on to your your next yeah, suggestion the first one i want to talk about is is from uh the future which was his 1992 album uh now you've got to remember what was happening at this time you're talking about uh he wrote it basically just after the fall of the berlin wall um and wow. the um uh 1992 riots in la um and new york as well the race riots that were going on at that time um so very turbulent world um and a lot of the songs in the future do reflect that but again not necessarily in a kind of dark and melancholic way um some of them are tinged with that but but the one that i've chosen first is a song called democracy 
Mm. Um, and uh, I think you know we're going to play a little bit for you now, and uh, I think from you know from from what we'll play, uh, you'll be able to see that it's just as pertinent now, uh, if not more, than it was back in 1992. So uh, yeah, this is uh, Leonard Cohen's "Democracy" from the 1992 album "The Future." I'm sentimental if you know what I mean. I love the country, but I can't stand the scene. And I'm neither left or right. I'm just staying home tonight, getting lost in that hopeless little scream. But I'm stubborn as those garbage bags of time cannot decay. I'm junk, but I'm still holding up this little wild bouquet. Democracy is coming to the USA. was democracy um and yeah one of his <laughs> more overtly political uh tracks yeah i think it's uh very it is overt it's very clear i think a lot of cohen's lyrics are often kind of hit, the messages are hidden or you, you know implied this is pretty on the nose yeah yeah um and it, you know uh the, the the future was was a real kind of big um production on that album uh you had uh, on uh, on democracy on, on a few of the songs uh, upwards of 30 different female backing vocalists wow, in yeah. the work um you know he's working with synthesizers um he actually I was watching an interview with him and he was talking about going over to uh work on on these little casio keyboards mm. from guitar because he realized he could do more interesting things on a key on a keyboard sound with a sound effect of a guitar than he could on the actual guitar himself right, yeah, um, yeah so yeah so so yeah you hear a, a, a lot of synth in this um, and embracing that kind of modern technology i think everyone yeah. does think of cohen as this guy with a guitar but actually he kept pushing boundaries of what he would normally do and he'd be happy to change well this yeah this is the thing about kind of 90, late late 80s early 90s uh, Cohen is you've got that yeah v- v- very much embracing sort of what's possible to do in a recording studio and and yeah bringing in kind of uh, electronic music and and those kind of yeah synth backgrounds um so yeah so just a few uh a few little lyrics I want to I want to highlight um I mean again you know when we talk about humor with Leonard Cohen you know He's not, you know, he's not Arthur Askey. He's not, <laughs> you know, no. he's not Tom Lehrer. He's 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 not a, a, a humorist, but it comes in in the wit and and in this satire. Um, and I think one of the things that highlights that for me perfectly is uh, uh, um, from the fires of the homeless, from the ashes of the gay democracy is coming to the USA. When you think about mm. this is the height of the AIDS crisis. Yeah. And he's basically saying, you know, uh, oh, it's okay, guys. Don't worry about all these people that are dying. Don't worry about all the, you know, um, again, thinking about uh, 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 Vietnam veterans in, in, in the early so 90s. You know, 20 people. years on, they're looking at how badly they've been treated. And, 
So, you know, fires of the homeless, ashes of the gay, all these people that are suffering. Mm. But it's all right because uh, it's all in, all in the name of democracy, <laughs> yeah. you know. And and I just think there's that, that irony. The irony, and, irony yeah. yeah. Um, I think irony is the whole thing, isn't it? Yeah. That, this, is, this is where he's, he's shooting at the moment. Um, again, uh, he talks about democracy coming from the homicidal kitchen, you know. Uh, homo- ho- homicidal bitching that takes place in every kitchen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and, uh, and from from the wells of disappointment. Mm. Like, how long, how many years has this kind of message gone? Oh, we're a democracy, therefore we're great. Yeah. And then you go, actually, yeah, there's still racism and there's still inequality in a massive way. And also this idea that democracy is coming. Yeah. The whole kind of, I don't know, the title's democracy, but the whole refrain of the song, that democracy's on its way, is an assumption that democracy is not here yet. Yeah. So when we talk about, you know, the US or Britain or Canada being democracies, how can they be if this is what we've decided to do with it? Um, it's not here yet. And you keep talking about it as if it is. And I think that's a lovely kind of message that he's driving home. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and musically, that irony is there in the, the marching drum, you know, yeah. that we hear at the beginning. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Even yeah, though it's a these... harmonica, almost could be a yeah. bugle. Are they, are they Swiss triplets at the beginning? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and yeah, immediately, yeah, as you say, you think of those marching bands and i think it's that idea that he's sending up of, of that uh kind of blind patriotism that you get in america you know i mean the chorus sail on sail on almighty ship of state to the shores of need past the reefs of greed through the squalls of hate sail on so it's like you yeah. know pay pay no attention to all the bad things let's just keep that patriotism keep it moving forward you know um don't ask any questions yeah um and that, but i think my favorite my favorite uh uh verse is uh, of which apparently there were many many more that were cut out uh, because he said they were too overtly political he didn't want to be sending too much of a message he was always very conscious of that in a lot of his writing is is you know he didn't want to make it too much about his personal opinions on he's things he's not a preacher is he in his no. work certainly um cer- certainly not in a in a political sense um uh yeah um i'm sentimental if you know what i mean i love the country but i can't stand the scene (laughs) and i'm neither left or right i'm just staying home tonight getting lost in that hopeless little screen but i'm stubborn as those garbage bags that time cannot decay i'm junk but i'm still holding up this little wild bouquet Mm -hmm. democracy's coming to the usa and you know so full of hope um you know turning that apathy into hope um Yeah. yeah you know and saying i you know i love america i love this place but I can't stand what's happening at the moment, and and I think it's especially um, uh, interesting and and uh, a sense of irony the fact that um, uh, Leonard Cohen passed away the day before Donald Trump was elected. President. I mean, I don't think um, he could have coped. Could he? Yeah, uh, and I what think would have you, happened when you think about the lyrics in this song? You certainly the the Trumpism springs to mind. My my movie in my, in my mind is mm. playing all the MAGA protests. Yeah, and, you know, especially now you're looking at people in the name of freedom. Uh, taking away other people's right to be safe in, yeah. in a global pandemic. I mean, that's my personal political opinion uh, for the day. But, I, you know, it does. It just it breathes this kind of what Cohen certainly would have viewed as madness. Yeah. And I think it's also telling that he was in L.A. at this time. Um, uh, as in he he wasn't living in Canada or Hydra. Yeah. But he, his main base was in L.A. And he died in L.A. Yeah. And I think L.A. is also quite a uh, self can, can be... Uh, you know it's quite a self-congratulatory bubble yeah and we know from the documentaries and from you know things that he says he found that side of entertainment industry tough Mm -hmm. um because i think he never wanted to be caught up in that um, yeah in that self-congratulatory thing it's a wonderful quote from marianne on that um Mm -hmm. 
on that documentary or Mariana as she was christened um saying at his first um a record um kind of publicity party he took a break and went up to the roof and she said are you all right and he went yeah if this is part of the game i'm not sure how long i'll last yeah obviously he was you know 33 34 then so he lasted yeah, yeah, quite yeah, a long yeah, time yeah, yeah. yeah. But, um yeah uh, that cynicism coming through mm-hmm. um but instead of it being bitter this song is just is not it's not got any bitterness in it i don't know but you're right this irony is there yeah um but yeah and again after all that I'm junk, but I'm still holding up this little wild bouquet. He ends on a hopeful note of, mm-hmm. of the whole song up to that point has been the irony of this idea of democracy's coming, democracy's coming. Don't worry about all the bad stuff that's happening because it's coming. But then actually the last democracy coming to the USA being absolute sincerity of going, yeah. maybe it just is and I'm going to hold up this bouquet until it gets here. Um, optimism. Yeah, absolutely. That's, absolutely. That's amazing. Yeah. and um, I, I, Yeah, I, I think... Um, I think that's something that people would never describe Anna Cohen as, is optimism. Um, no, but it's, yeah, again, huge, huge amounts of optimism, huge amounts of hope and, and, and joy. And I think it's because he does sing a lot about, you know, death and, and mortality and those kind of things. Um, people think that he's not optimistic, but actually he talks about them in, in a very beautiful way and in, in a very happy and joyous way about, you know, the, the finality of, of life and things like that uh, and but talks about you know enjoying that and embracing that and, and, and I yeah. think this this song's a good example of that um, kind of whether it's a, a fallacy or a misconception or whether it's you know people entitled to their opinions but I think it was Rolling Stone but I can't remember but the quote was um, Leonard Cohen is a prophet for the end of the world as we know it and I think this song I absolutely get why you've taken it that way yeah. but you can also take it as uh, this is what the world could be guys this is i'm still holding out hope i'm still holding the bouquet as you yeah. say you see you can choose to take it, it yeah it's ab- really up absolutely. to the listener absolutely um it doesn't um, have to be a prophet for the end of the world no yeah. exactly um but yeah lovely thanks so very move much on, move on to your second one swiftly moving on um so my second choice is actually um from the 1977 album death of a ladies man Mm-hmm. Um, and it's called Don't Go Home With Your Hard On. And that was Don't Go Home With Your Hard On. <laughs> now, we've been talking about the subtlety yeah. of Let It Go and how the last one politically might not be as subtle. I think this one, in terms of his suggestive uh, references to sex and relationships, is pretty on the nose as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's... Uh, yeah, I mean, the, just the sound of it. I mean, it reminds me of, like, you know, Gogol Bordello. Like, yeah. that real, almost, like, gypsy punk folk It feels like a kind sound. of festival kind of... There's a... There's a, there's a, a raucousness to it yeah um which is which is great and and certainly not by accident no you know it. um and also he's singing quite high yeah like he still manages to sound low but if i sing that it sounds quite high yeah yeah, yeah. um 
and uh, yeah, I, I just think it's it's great fun. Um, so obviously, it, it's talking about a man having an erection. Yeah. Um, but interestingly, you know, he talks about um the fact that he was born in a beauty salon. My father was a dresser of hair. We know this is not true. Yeah. Leonard Cohen. He's obviously singing in, in through the character that he's invented. You can you can see the actually the the country and western influence. That's from his early yeah. days because it's one you know country songs famously you know story driven yeah. songs often fictional stories about invented people and there's, yeah. there's very much that influence a story there. that has a kind of a yeah beginning middle end of a person's uh, existence i mean yeah so in this situation um the beauty salon he's talking about is uh, not actually a beauty salon it is a brothel um and when he talks about his father being a hairdresser um uh he's he's meaning his dad was a pimp um and it's kind of the he also is talking uh, you know about his mother saying my mother was a girl you could call on yeah. uh, when you called she was always there suggesting that she might have been a sex worker and um there's a wryness again I think I'm going to you keep using that word where it feels like the subject of the song feels like he knows all he knows everything that people think about what yeah. his family does but then by the end of the song, you realise that he's gone into the same business anyway. Yeah. Um, so I work in that same beauty salon. I'm chained to the old masquerade, the lipstick, the shadow and the silicon. I follow my father's trade. Yeah. Um, so you think it's kind of like a criticism. Yeah. And then it becomes a kind of loving description. And then it becomes a, yeah, but I still do it because it's it's my destiny. It's my yeah. family. It's what we do. We sell sex. And so therefore, the don't go ho- home with your hard on becomes a kind of sales pitch. Yeah. To two punters it's saying oh the worst thing you can do is not get your end away you better come and pay us yeah uh, to use our brothel um and that's obviously you know something this kid had to do i suppose yeah, yeah, bring yeah. in the punters um but i was wondering again if if i think listening to this song before the documentary yeah um having never read a biopic of cohen before now I think about it slightly differently because I'm going, why is Cohen writing about this when that yeah. wasn't his life? Why has he picked this subject matter? And I think what comes up a lot is his relationship to sex. Yeah. Um, he describes it as almost obsessive. Yeah. Um, and that in the 60s, because of the kind of free love culture, it was it was very widely accepted because everyone was doing it. But he says he does, he did feel like his... Maybe, again, not for me to say, but I wonder if today maybe... He might have identified as maybe going through moments of sex addiction, or mm. um, it it strikes me as that he knew he had a slightly different relationship with sex and the amount of sex that he was having. Yeah. Um, and I wonder if that bleeds into this. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Um, I mean, interestingly, it's it's uh, Spectre's got a co-writing credit on the actual song right. itself, and I think <laughs> I mean been... he had a co-writing credits on a lot of songs. Yeah. Um, but you mm. you know certainly in in the music of it you can feel his his fingertips there and i wonder if if uh, lyrically because it does feel very although yeah there's a lot of of songs you know uh, that are overtly sexual that uh, in cohen's kind of canon uh, there is a difference with this song and, and with, with with the lyrics of it and i wonder if yeah there, there's mm. a there's a specter influence there as well but no it's just I think this is a great one because it's not simply, you know, the humour isn't just found in the lyrics. The joy is actually in the composition as well. And it's so up-tempo. I mean, I think if you played this to anyone, loads of people would be him. shocked it was Leonard Cohen. Yeah. Like you say, very different style of voice. Um, uh, certainly, yeah, the tempo and the composition is is nothing like you'd think of with Cohen. Um, 
and I think that's that's really great fun. Uh, I just think it's fun. It's joyous. It reminds me a lot of of another song called "Closing Time," uh, yeah. which um, is also from the future. Um, uh, and uh, yeah, very much. And that's you know that's a song. Um, uh, it was uh, uh, referred to as a euphoric song about the end of a wild party. Um, and I think this this is fills that that similar. Mm-hmm. thing as well um uh real celebratory and he does have these songs that feel like real celebrations and i think it comes from that kind of you know he did live you know in sort of parties for a lot of t- you know whether that yeah. was parties on hydra parties in the chelsea hotel it was it was constant you know i mean they talked again on the documentary about when the the the, the time they were on tour and i think they said it was something like they did 20 27 28 days where they would drop acid every single day yeah. and they were doing shows every night and just can't remember it. And, you know, so he did live that kind of rock and roll lifestyle, although that's not something that you think synonymous with yeah. Leonard Cohen. You think serious, thoughtful balladeer sat in a corner by himself writing, but actually he did in the 60s and 70s very much live that, live that rock and roll kind of hedonistic lifestyle. And inviting the audience back to the hotel room. Right, yeah, yeah, that one concert then... he did, I think, uh, in Scandinavia, one of the Scandinavian countries, and he yeah, invited them all back. Uh, <laughs> the, hotel. the lead guitarist saying i went to play an f sharp major seventh yeah. beautiful chord and instead of landing on the chord i landed on my face on the stage <laughs> yeah. and that's when i realized i'd taken too many quaaludes like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. that i don't think i think of that story being a rolling stone story yeah or yeah, a, yeah you know a, a massive kind of stadium but i don't think of leonard cohen yeah the guy with a little classico guitar yeah. going listen to my poetry yeah being that high and that yeah and, and that kind of yeah, think, sex drugs and rock and roll yeah i think songs like that certainly show it um there's also a nice little reference there um in the chorus it says uh you, you know don't go home with your hard on lonely driving saying you can't shake it or break it with your motown you you can't melt it down in the rain and i'm thinking this is 77 and yeah. phil Spector, who we know gave rise to things like tina turner yeah, and yeah, yeah. was involved in a lot of the kind of modern rise of music at that time, well, and and murders, uh, <laughs> but you know, there's little references to th- there being something pure about this song yeah. being the thing that will get rid of your sexual urges. Yeah, it's yeah. what we're talking about—the real deal here, not just the pop representation of what that is. Yeah, um, yeah, which is just as cheeky and it's fun and it's uh, winking um, yeah. at the audience. And I don't really think there's any subtext in no. it, which I think is quite. I would think was rare for a, a Cohen yeah. song. So I just thought, well, that's a great one to put on the list. Which then leads us on to your next choice. Yes. So my next choice is uh, the Tower of Song, which is from the 1988 album "I'm Your Man." Well, my friends are gone. And my hair is grey I ache in the places where I used to play And I'm crazy for love But I'm not coming on I'm just paying my rent every day In the Tower of Song I said to Hank Williams, how lonely does it get? Hank Williams hasn't answered yet, but I hear him coughing all night long. Oh, a hundred floors above me in the Tower of Song. So, yeah, uh, very much, um, I think, uh, 
a love letter to music and and a real humility um yeah. i think in the lyrics you know the the first um the first uh, couple of verses which you'll have just heard um you know my friends are gone and my hair is gray i ache in the places where i used to play which i think <laughs> yeah. is just fab um and i'm crazy for love but i'm not coming on yeah um great um you know said to hank williams how lonely does it get hank williams hasn't answered yet but i hear him coughing all night long a hundred floors above me in the tower of song like this idea yeah. of you know i mean he he, he uh, talks in interviews a lot about hank williams again that country influence say, coming it makes back. sense after what you said about his country roots which yeah. i had no idea about no um but he 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 holds hank williams as a real uh hero of his and inspiration and and you know him saying yeah um you know Len- leonard cohen might be in the tower of song but he's a hundred floors below someone like hank williams which is yeah. just it's so it's so lovely and and you know you, you do see in in uh i've watched quite a lot of interviews with him over the last few days preparing for this podcast and he's just the most humble guy yeah. um you know he uh, refers to himself as sort of a a like a, a poet of some merit or things like yeah. that and he's just you know he's yeah well there's a, that interesting thing isn't it especially when you when you think of this man who is described by his peers and lovers and music you know colleagues as having this huge presence and respect and like you say revered by by fellow artists mm. you you'd think of this kind of imposing figure but i almost think it's you know that thing when you meet someone and you go, are they shy or are they aloof? Yeah. And you're not really sure. And I think that his kind of natural um, shyness about his body and about mm-hmm. the way he looks almost made him magnetic to people. Yeah. Certainly magnetic to women. Yeah. Um, but also because he doesn't go to you, you come to him. Yeah. And I think you only have to look at him performing, whether it's in front of tens of thousands of people on his stadium tours, uh, mm-hmm. you know, his last kind of round, or back uh, when he's uh, doing European tours yeah. um, in the 70s and 80s, where you can feel like it's so intimate. Mm-hmm. It's so, in like, he draws people to him. And I think that yeah. humility is a big part of that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think for me, the, you know, we, we're, we're talking about humour in this podcast, but I think something that comes out in this, in this is, is, a real happiness and a real mm. acceptance of where he is. Um, yeah. Like I love the the line. Um, uh, you can stick your little pins in that voodoo doll. I'm very sorry, baby. Doesn't look like me at all. <laughs> I'm yeah. standing by the window where the light's strong. It's like you know I, he's like saying like I I've moved on and yeah. dealt with this thing and all those people that are out there, all my former jilted lovers that might you know yeah. still holding me you know accountable for these things or, or angry at me for things that i thought we'd moved through like you can keep being angry at me it's I'm fine not i'm anymore. not that person anymore and i just yeah there's something really nice about that um and you, you can you can see now now i mean it's easy with hindsight we know that this guy went lived in a monastery for six years yeah to, to practice you know he was a servant to his spiritual leader and, mm. and practiced humility and, and servitude and and um was in search of of what how you exist within that and i think this song is is as you kind of say it's accepting his place in the vast you know the tower of song the historical legacy of people like hank williams and also you don't have to be a country fan to know that hank williams is one of the most influential uh, people um uh, ever um i was shocked when i realized he died in 53 yeah uh, at such a young age yeah 29 um because he, he his music is you know again has changed 
so much. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's also, though, along this humour and this humility, mm-hmm. there's also a kind of um, a wry wisdom that comes up yeah. word again. Right. Uh, wisdom comes through a line that I just love. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the rich have got their channels in the bedrooms yeah. of the poor. I mean, it's it's oh, it's he a, can't help himself. Can it, he? It's it, yeah. It's so interesting because when you read a lot of, you know, um, uh, music journalism about Cohen and they talk about the fact that he was a real anomaly in that late 60s early 70s scene in terms of being someone that actually kind of really eschewed the uh political radical Mm. left kind of he was quite apolitical most of the time and kind of saying that you know all all his contemporaries you know dylan and Joni mitchell and joan Baez and all these people that were that were doing very overtly political mm. songs and making stances, and he was sort of writing about love and sex and yeah, he wasn't writing protest songs. But, but you lump him in with protest singers, yeah. But you do find, despite that, these little, like you say, there's almost like he, there's this little part of him, this little radical inside that he lets out only for one line in a song. Yeah, but yeah, it's great. Like, you know, I think yeah, the, the rich have got their channels in the bedrooms of the poor reminds me of actually one of if not my favorite ever quote of all time and i actually i don't know who it's attributed to because i've only seen a picture of it as a piece of graffiti mm. um and it's my favorite political quote of all time because i think it just it, it is so profound and i actually think it's almost exactly what he's saying in, in this and the quote is is something along the lines of uh, uh um real progress can only happen when the working class left stop reading the right wing yeah. tabloids yeah. and i think there's that's kind of what he's saying the rich have got their channels in the bedroom of the poor the rich are feeding the poor's mm. minds by through the tv you know things like fox news you know yeah. things like exactly what trump's done tricked the working class of america into thinking that he's one of them and i yeah. just think to be able to sum up all of that in in one line is is quite something it's amazing but you're right he doesn't it's not preachy it's funny because he finds his place in the world so small yeah he's like well yeah that's i mean that's power i don't have power yeah i have a little bit of influence and i have a place in the tower of song and and you know stretching the analogy and that's fine and 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 it, it kind of grounds me listening to this. I also think musically, you know, you, you pointed out when we were listening to it that it's a 12-bar blues. Yeah. Uh, but kind of slowed down. And there's also this, there are two weird solos that come <laughs> yeah. out of this, what we... It sounds like a child's Casio keyboard, doesn't well, it? He's, well, he's, yeah. one of his producers said that he, um, he in fact, the, the guy who did the songs of London Cohen and then yeah. later on was meant to complete an album with him that he then didn't for seven years. Yeah. Uh, another story, but he, he said he picked up a Casio, uh, a street market in yeah. New York. Um, and that, and that, I think that's what it is. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and and I think he's playing it because he could, you know, he's got the pick of any any musician yeah. that he, he wants to record with at this point. Um, but he chooses to do this very charming, rudimentary solo. There's a naivety to it, oh, isn't re- there? Yeah, Which but I is... love it. I <laughs> yeah. love it. Yeah, it's charming. Yeah, it is. This um, this song wouldn't work if it had an amazing virtuosic yeah. kind of guitar yeah. solo in it. It and, has to be humble. And again, you know, people saying the you know these these misconceptions about Kern, which is obviously what this whole podcast is all about um you know you and i were both sat there listening to the song you know the whole song just both of us with a smile on our face the whole time you know and it yeah. does it, 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 it it's don't be fooled by 
the fact that it is quite slow that he sings quite deeply that that he doesn't push anything vocally into thinking that that's in any way melancholic because yeah. it's it's not it's 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 really full of joy um and and i also just another another thing on the mm. lines of humility but he he often spoke about the the fact that um he was grateful to all all, all his collaborators but particularly his backing singers because yeah they you know producers always picked uh, and it was actually the same producer um who who did his first album his, who was talking about his girlfriend singing yeah. the backing vocals and he i think he refers as first to them as like angels from another world yeah and in this song they're just doing the do dum dum and it's just kind of yeah. almost hypnotic but he he references them and he's yeah. saying that this is what's made me cool actually yeah, yeah, it's yeah. all the people around me um and I just, I really like that. And it's something that he does in other songs as well. Yeah. And, and his live performances, but I, I always... think I, I found that there's a there's a wry humour in, in, in those backing vocals. Because to me, I just kept hearing to do Ron, 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 to do yeah, Ron, Ron. it is. Yeah. And I was like, that's got to be a knowing nod to, you know, and yeah. that's fun. That's playful as well, I think. And um, you've got you've got three professional singers, but you're going to get them to sing really, really simple lines. Yeah. Uh, you know, over and over again. Um, and then also, I was thinking like it fades out um, on the on the whole track. If you listen to it, it just kind of fades out on this do dum dum dum, and it kind of feels like they just faded it out halfway through. But yeah. I feel like the song goes on forever and yeah. never ends. And well, I, is that a poetic thing? It's it's funny you should say that because uh, Cohen says that the the original first draft of this song had sixty verses, six zero. <laughs> I mean, um, <laughs> and I mean this is this is quite. Uh, common for for cohen he, he did an interview in the early 90s with mtv and he basically said that uh every single one of his songs is in themselves about eight to ten songs right but there are all these different versions and he said in fact um uh my 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 final choice that we'll come to in a bit song i previously mentioned closing time um he actually recorded two completely different versions of that song and wow. two of them actually got as far as recording and he said you know, there's loads more that are kept in a drawer so yeah, it's 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 funny you say that because it does have this feeling of that it just could continue on and on and on and 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 somewhere there are many 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 more verses uh, out there of of this. Um, but what I, but I, I think also uh, that I mean yeah I, I, we know Hallelujah had like thirty verses or something but yeah I mean, sixty is is insane. But without knowing that for me it just feels like it is almost metaphorical in the sense mm. that the song goes on and it will be sung by someone else and, yeah, it'll yeah, be, yeah. and it will be written by someone else yeah, yeah, and yeah. it's just one thing in, <laughs> in the Tower of Song. It's such a good metaphor. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, and uh, one thing I really love is that when he was um, in the late 2000s uh, inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, um, his acceptance speech, all he did was just recite the lyrics of this song, which does the poetry. Really? Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, right, yeah and, that's... He's, that's what you, you want to say yeah yeah uh, which i love yeah really um, lovely so yeah so that's that's my one we're going to move on to your uh third and final my third and final choice um so this song is from i'm your man uh, mm. again from 1988 and it is called everybody knows everybody knows that you love me baby Discreet, but there were so many people you just had to meet 
Everybody knows. Um, now, everything I find online about this song yeah. is everyone saying this is the epitome of Leonard Cohen's bitterness, <laughs> that it's his, his resignation about how kind of crap the world is. Yeah. Um, and I find that interesting because I picked the song before I read all that. Yeah. And I I understand, again, a little bit like you've said in other you know songs that we've already mentioned, that there is a uh, a cynicism there, mm. but I find it really funny. Like, yeah, um, I uh, I believe it's um, AmericanSongwriter dot com. Uh, right. There's an article on there, and they refer to it as uh, a song full of mischievous wit. Well, that's which that, I was, is I yeah. think spot on. Thank um, you, American songwriter. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I I really do um, uh, think that it's f- absolutely full of m- m- mischievous wit. I mean, I mean, you know, the idea, you know, I mean. It's you know it's, it, there are moments that are so tongue in cheek. I mean the lyric where he likens the death of a parent to the death of a dog and things I mean, like that. I mean, especially it's... if you're a country music star, yeah. the joke is my poor little doggy died. Yeah. you know, or or I had a difficult father, or you yeah, know, and he died. You know, it's uh, but we also know that he loves those songs, so it's definitely a loving kind of yeah. knowing, um, you know, a piss take, if you will. Yeah. Um, but and he knows that he's written songs like that, so. Yeah. And he, I think also we're talking about the fact that he's not written protest songs, right? Yeah. And we're in 88 now and we know that the pattern is he's normally writing about where he was five years ago or six years ago. Yeah. Maybe even 10 years ago. And But there are references in this song to, to the 80s yeah. and again, references to the AIDS crisis, as yeah, you know, yeah, said absolutely. before. Um, this album and its classification on Wikipedia as synth pop, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, it is synth pop, but yeah. it's it's not quite the same as you know. No. You, you wouldn't. Um, I don't know. Lump it in with other synth pop greats. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, uh, I, I I love the fact that it's it's you know the first kind of verses that leap out of me. Everybody knows that the boat is leaking. Mm-hmm. Everyone knows the captain lied. Everyone's got the broken feeling like their father or the dog just died. Is is a wonderful way of going. Well, what have I got to say that you haven't already? That's yeah. already been said. Dylan said it. Joplin said yeah. it. Like everyone's saying it all the time. And what does it change? Like nothing. Yeah. Um. Uh, every, everybody knows that you've been faithful. I'll give or take a time or two. Like, yeah, right. Which is the fact so... that he adds in ah, like yeah. Wah. I like, mean, that's actually a, a, a word in the in the lyric. Yeah, you know? it's uh, and again very possibly drawn from his own experiences, knowing yeah, that you know I, going I from so. free love and yeah. the whole relationship with Marianne, or whether it's Suzanne. Or, yeah, you know, um, these are amazing things. Um, but also, you know, he follows up that verse with. Um, but there were so many people you just had to meet without your clothes. Everybody like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like yeah. did you really? Like, well, yeah. you did, and you did. You must have done, otherwise you wouldn't have done it. Yeah, and it's fine. Uh, everybody knows that you'll live forever when you've done a line or two. Yeah, again, it's like, well, of course, everyone's. This is a man yeah. who who wrote his third novel on speed. Yeah, uh, and uh, and and copious amounts of alcohol. So that that kind of confidence that comes, there is a maturity, I would say, mm-hmm. to this um, to this song. Um, and a and a humour there that that really comes through. Yeah. Um, I think one of my favourite lines is uh, everybody's talking to their pockets. Everybody wants a box of chocolates and a long stem rose. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Again, it's um, uh, 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 Amer- American songwriter said that uh, 
Running through this litany of horrors is a subtle criticism of those who ignore it all in favor of their own self-interested pursuits. Wow. Is, yeah. And and again, these are the words, and if they are prophetic, uh, you know, um, as they've been described, he says, you know, on that last verse, um, uh, from the bloody cross on the top of Calgary to the beach mm. of Malibu, he's yeah. like, well, well, we talk about biblical, and he, you know, he says in the previous song as well, actually, I forgot to mention um about the sermon on the mount which i've never understood yeah some, something to that effect you know so i never i never got all that yeah, yeah, yeah. um and then he says the last line that i i adore it says take one last look at this sacred heart sacred heart before it blows yeah and everybody knows and what does he do right after this album yeah well he disappears yeah and goes into the mountains and he and and maybe maybe it is him going i've had enough of this world mm. but i like to think actually it's him going the world's always been this way it's going more this way, and yes, we you know we have the plague is on its way. The yeah. everybody knows that it's moving fast. Obviously, a, a, an AIDS reference there, but he's saying he's saying that you have a choice. Like you have a choice whether to worry about that and the box of chocolate. You can't worry about both. Yeah, like you've got to make a decision. If we want to make this world a better place, then you've got a choice. You can go for the long stem road of the box of chocolates, or you can yeah, or you can worry about all the things that you say you're worried about. Um. But again, it doesn't come across as preachy because he's saying I'm part of it too. I'm not hip. I'm you know I'm a, I'm not a hypocrite because I'm acknowledging it. Yeah. Um, and that's something that is consistent. And I but I just find it wrapped up in so many. Uh, every verse makes me smile. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's it's worth noting as well. This was an uh, another collaboration. Um, we talked about him writing with Spectre in the past. Yeah. This was the first song he wrote with his former backing singer Sharon Robinson. Um who he wrote the lyrics and she wrote the melody for it um, and, and the compositions. And that became quite a long-standing relationship. And a lot of his later work was was with her. That's um, lovely. And, yeah. and, and, and she's written a lot of songs with other people as well. Yeah. And she's got yeah. a name on a lot of things. Um, and yeah, I, I find that interesting that he he's always had a muse around, hasn't he? Yeah. It doesn't matter what decade or what city he's in. Yeah. You know, he, Cohen always, Leonard always had a girl uh, mm. somewhere. That he that that seemed to really fuel his work. Yeah, um, yeah, it was interesting on on the on the uh, Broomfield documentary. You know, uh, one of the talking heads on that, um, uh, Aviva, who's this Australian, incredible Australian woman, who's amazing. Was, yeah, I fell in love with her straight away. There, there at the time on Hydra and stuff, um, and said, you know, if if you know if if Leonard was was young and around today, he'd be known as this real feminist and talking mm. about you know having a conversation with him once and him just kind of sighing and going, oh, I can't wait till women run things. <laughs> yeah. You know? And, and yeah, I think he, he always, you know, I, I, I never got with him that it was in this, you know, he craved the company of women a lot, I think in his life, but I don't, I never got, you never get the impression that it was that he was a womanizer or that it was to do with kind of power dynamics. It always mm. felt like, like he genuinely needed the f- intellect of a of of female company yeah you know yeah. um uh to kind of thrive off and bounce off and i mean who, who are we to say but it, mm. but the but there that's where what, what everyone kind of says and everyone yeah. that's you know that's been talking about him um seems to say that rather than the more i don't know the more dark or despicable side of kind of male yeah. power dynamics he seemed to be you know i think actually his power dynamic is most powerful when moving away from people <laughs> yeah because that's yeah. what they wanted to do both personally but also artistically yeah um yeah but just a really fun yes cynical yes commentary yeah. 
look at where the world was in '88 and uh, and where I still so relevant today. Like, but I, and 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 I think that's what a lot of people miss is that it's knowing in its cynicism. He's delib- He's being like provocatively cynical, and I think in the in in the latter Cohen period, late late eighties onwards, hmm. he is. There's an element of giving the public what they expect from Leonard Cohen. Yeah. Um, again, in the in the early nineties MTV interview, he talks about you know um, uh, his feelings about the Berlin Wall and kind of saying, well, no matter what I say, everybody just is going to expect me to be all very cynical and somber about it all you know so yeah. he's so aware he's so self-aware of his his perception yeah um um within within the wider world and and i think in you know i think he plays up to that in on on a lot of the songs on i'm your mind a lot of the songs in the future are are very are very knowing and and using and manipulating that cynicism in a really fun way yeah um and also, one thing talking about his humour is that all his bandmates talk about as being one of the funniest guys on the tour. Like he yeah. was always cracking jokes. And... There's a great, there's a great quote from his son Adam Cohen, um, who says, uh, "There was always laughter, despite his notoriety for, I quote, having a voice like the bottom of an ashtray, <laughs> for being the prince of darkness. He's one of the most quick-witted men." And is generous with his humour. The guy is hilarious. Thanks from his yeah. son, you know. And I think if you know that and you listen to a song like this, yeah. then you're going to have a very different experience than yeah. the people in, you know, the New York Times who, uh, who, yeah, said it was bitterly pe- pessimistic um, or, yeah, or a, a brief prophecy about the end of the world as we know it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, we move forward to my... Uh, final choice. Your final choice. Uh, which I think I mentioned previously is uh, another song from uh, 1992's The Future um, and uh, deliberately saved it for last because this is a song that he would famously uh, play as his final encore because um, oh, it's a song that is is all about uh, the ending of, of evenings of relationships, of lives of, of just, yeah, enjoying the endings of things so uh, this is Closing Time. was uh closing time and uh as you'll have heard uh not the uh seminal 90s uh <laughs> pop rock semi-sonic classic closing time although does uh share a lot of the same themes yeah i i um or closing time by tom waits yes uh, also yeah. um kind of about I, I don't know i think we've all had this or maybe it's just pretentious artists but i think i am one of those uh in the <laughs> sense that you you have this moment where it's a really great night or you, 
you know, and you're out and, and you're there and you don't realise that you're there at last, till last orders because it's yeah. been such a good night. And then, you know, I, myself, you know, I have memories of being a bit drunk and kind of watching everyone dissipate and pair off. And you have this kind of sense of, I don't know, I start to make it mean other things. And I start yeah. to think, oh, God, it's all the end. The night was brilliant, but now it's ending. And what happens now? Yeah. Um, except when you ask Lennon Cohen to yeah, yeah, yeah. what happens now, he comes out with this. Well, it's, it's, it's funny. Um, uh, again, in the, in the MTV interview, uh, he was asked what this song was about. And uh, his, his answer was, what it's about depends on harmonics. Um, <laughs> and he talks about the fact that when he first wrote it, the melody was uh about half the speed it is now wow. and a lot of the backing was like a very like discordant bass wow and 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 uh apparently all the you know like the backing singers in the band were like oh this is great it really shows the you know that kind of sad melancholia of the end of a night and he went no that's not what it's meant to be about at all yeah. it's meant to be this happy celebration so he went away and he went no this isn't working clearly and completely rewrote the melody doubled the speed of it wow turned it into now this more uh, country like almost sw- like swing yeah. country square dance type song it does feel which like does a harken back to of... his, his teenage years that i love stories like that where you think this so could have been something completely different. Yeah. And yet it is such a, a big song for any Leonard Cohen fan. Yeah. Um, and like you say, you know, ending his sets like that, which yeah. is which is a very appropriate. Um, and the and the violin uh in in the track is is a fake violin on the Casio keyboard. Oh, is it's it not really? actually a real violin on the track, which is uh, interesting. You know, yeah. I couldn't tell. No. Partly because a real violin probably would have sounded a bit like that in the eighties anyway, yeah, in yeah, terms yeah. of what they, you know, do to it. But it's interesting you should mention the violin because uh, it cuts through what could be quite a dirty song mm. in terms of it the melody is quite simple. Mm-hmm. Even though uh, obviously less dirty than what it was meant to be, but you know, it does kind of have a rhythmic, hypnotic kind of Lenin Cohen rhythm to it and the violin really cuts through it mm. um but again it, it, it's it's that lyrical painting in the way that the song is talks about yeah. the fiddle player there's going to yeah. be hell to play when he stops and uh, interesting this this is um uh in canada in his home t- uh, home country uh, uh this is the uh, the second most successful lennon cohen song after hallelujah mm. in canada um uh, as i say yeah, it's kind of become famous uh for for Leonard Cohen concert goers is is uh, really really enjoying that final moment of the concert, and he'll yeah. often apparently wait until the audience start putting their coats on. Like he'll he'll oh, really? leave the encore going for so long until people are like, oh that must be it, and he'll come out and do this song as people are get are leaving. That's really rather lovely. than actually for people to watch. It's yeah. yeah, which is nice. Although how gutted would you be if you'd just gone if you if you'd been the first out the door <laughs> yeah. and, then you, and then you can't get back in? Oh, <laughs> gutted. Uh, um, but yeah, some. I mean, this this is one where I almost want to read every, every lyric. You know, there's, there's it's just so much uh, fun stuff in here. But I mean, you know, the the, the certainly the first bit. Uh, we're drinking and we're dancing and the band is really happening. The Johnny Walker wisdom running high. It's a great lyric. I, I picked that out as well as as yeah. such a great um yeah a great uh, encapsulates that feeling. And uh, yeah, my, my very sweet companion. She's the angel of compassion. She's rubbing half the world against her thigh. It's like <laughs> yeah. that juxtaposition of she's this angel of companion, but yeah. she's really enjoying all this male company. And it's, it's but really he's nice. really comfortable with that. Yeah. And I, I was going to say something. There was a little quote about him when he was uh, that he that he said to camera when a documentary Q, uh, a team came to see him in, in the monastery. And he talks a lot about antimonies. Yeah. And uh, do I mean antimonies? The the light and dark, mm. sun and moon, 
um, snakes and ladders, laughter and sadness. All of yeah. these are through this song all the yeah. time. And that's another example of one that would like, sit through my neck. But yeah, the idea that she can be the, the angel of his life and the, you know, but also flirting. He's absolutely fine with that. He quite yeah. likes the fact that there's this, these opposites. And and then he says, um, uh, like, he, it looks like freedom and it feels like death. Something in between, I guess. It's yeah. closing time. And I go, well, this is before he went to the monastery. Maybe he's going, oh, well, it's something. Balance. Balance yeah. is what you need. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and I, yeah, I think balance is definitely a theme of this song. Absolutely. Um, and I think, yeah, he, 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 he views it as he says, the first part of the song is, is the end of, of, of a night out. The second part of the song is, is the end of some kind of relationship. And the third part of the song is, is the end of life. And, um, I love the lyric, uh, um, uh, and I lift my glass to the awful truth, which you can't reveal to the ears of youth except to say it isn't worth a dime <laughs> yeah. and i love that you know that whole kind of thing of you can't you know as you get older you can't there's no point in telling young yeah. people what it's going to be like they've got to experience it you've got to learn themselves, that themselves, learn the themselves. And I, yeah it's again it's 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 enjoying the endings of things for me this song and i mean uh you know the the sort of uh, there's a repeated um uh, chorus or or sort of repeated section of a verse um all the women tear their blouses off the men they dance on the polka dots and it's partner found it's partner lost and it's hell to pay when the fiddler stops mm. and it is that idea um i know it, well not so much anymore as i'm getting on a bit but uh <laughs> certainly you know 10 years ago early 20s very much when you'd be on a night out and and that sort of there'd be like an almost an annoyance of like oh i can't believe it's only half an hour left. I don't, want it to I don't want it to end. I'm just getting into this, you know, and, and that idea of, yeah, how do you, so, so you, you, you know, you make a pact with yourself to not, to stop watching the clock and just enjoy that last yeah. half an hour. And in the back of your mind, you're going, it's going to really suck when this is all done, but we're going to have a great time. We're going to dance and we're going to enjoy life. And yeah. And uh, until it's, until it's, you know, it's basically, it's, it's a song that's kind of encapsulating the time between last orders and time at the bar, right? Yeah. That's the, yeah. that's the moment in time he's captured. It should only ever yeah. be 15 minutes, but we yeah. stretch it out for as long as we can yeah. until eventually the barman that you, and I think that is also when you, when you go from the end of a relationship to the end of an evening to the end of the world, where do you want to be at the end of the world? Yeah. Like maybe this is really kind of telling about me, but. I don't even drink anymore and I still want the end of the world to be in my local pub. Like, yeah. Or, you know, it, I I would want to go down swinging with, a, you know, the people I love and the live music. And, yeah. Um, but there's a, a feeling that gets me quite excited and I just don't understand how everyone listens to this album and, and, and his lot of his latest stuff and just constantly hates on it. Yeah. Um, and I think you know, it's a wider point as well about, um, about his music in general and, and all the songs. I, this project has made me go from well he is a bit sad to mm. actually no listen listen to it <laughs> yeah be- because there's just so much in there yeah no ab- absolutely um and i think yeah i think it's it's a it's, it's an interesting thing isn't it because i think there are actually three camps um within the sort of perception of of leonard cohen and his music and i think there are what we've been trying to do uh on this podcast which is showing the you know that that he is a songwriter that's 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 full of joy that's full of hope and optimism that's very 
funny in mm. his in his cynicism um and and uses that melancholy in an arch ironic way um then i think you have the camp of like like kurt cobain you know we talked about at the beginning of the podcast you know he was famously a real fan of cohen he he talked a lot about how much of an influence Leonard cohen was he's not saying you know he he's saying it's it it's it's a positive thing that 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 the afterlife you'll be sighing endlessly like like there is a school of thought of people that don't see the humor but still but like him for the darkness yeah um and then i think yeah you have uh you know people that just can't engage because they've kind of made up their minds before really really listening to it so so just to say yeah i, I don't think it's necessarily you know all people that think his music is darker are, are non-fans i think there's actually quite a number of people that that haven't found the humor and the lightness but still really like him for the darkness as well which is which is an interesting kind of middle ground there um but I know we 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 we've got a few honourable mentions that we wanted to talk about, didn't we? Um, yeah, well, like, uh, just because like, we we'd be here forever if we chose all the songs that we found. It would be, um, it would it would go on forever, and you know we we go on for quite a while anyway. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there were there were quite a few things I found in my rabbit hole that I just um wanted to mention, and maybe not whole songs, but definitely mm. snippets from. There's one um from uh, is this what you wanted? Uh, yeah, to be, that was one that I was choose, oh, chose as well. Yeah. Okay, what line are you going to go for? <laughs> um, I mean, uh, there was a couple. Um, uh, the one, um, uh, you were Marlon Brando, I was Steve McQueen, you were KY Jelly, I was Vaseline. It, that's is, exactly what I've got yeah. as well. I just think it's a hilarious. Yeah. Um, um, uh, I, I, I was the very Reverend Freud, you were the manual orgasm, I was the dirty little boy. I yeah. Think was, yeah. Uh, again, about sex. Yeah. Like, no one goes, oh, Leonard Cohen, oh, well, those songs about sex. They yeah. just go, like, that's what he's writing that's, about oh, half yeah. the time. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, it's, 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 it's sexual religion, I think. Yeah. Uh, with, with, with Cohen, you know. Yeah, absolutely. What a great legacy. Uh, another one was That Don't Make It Junk. Oh, yeah. Um, where he says, uh, I fought against the bottle, but I had to do it drunk, um, which is just that wonderful idea. And I think that. A lot, especially a lot of musicians from that time, but um, a lot of addicts talk about, you know, how how I'm I'm absolutely able to fight addiction, yeah. but I'm not able to function without having the thing that I'm addicted to. Yeah. And it's like it's it's that actually you're crumbling when you're sober and you're away from it. And um I think it's interesting when you when you talk about a man who wrote so much of his early work intoxicated, you know, on levels that would probably kill a yeah. a teenager today. Um I, I just think it's interesting that he's kind of again so oh self aware. Yeah. And it just tickles me. Yeah. Um uh and I think um uh one for me as well that stood out was uh, uh Dress Rehearsal Rag, um, mm-hmm. which is an entire which is an entire song uh about a man contemplating suicide looking in the bathroom mirror. But <laughs> but it's again, yes, it's about suicide and actually uh, apparently someone said at the time when it came out, like, oh you know, talking to him and saying, oh, really? You're, you've done this? Everyone says, you know, music to slit your wrist by and you've done this whole song yeah. now about suicide. And apparently he just went, yeah, but he doesn't do it in the end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and it, it, you know, it's, it's, um, uh, great lyrics like, cover up your face with soap there, now you're Santa Claus and you've got a gift for anyone who'll give you his applause. And it's so much detail. There's like about 15 verses. And, but the whole song is literally just in like real time and it's just talking through but but it's it's in a really funny way of and and a way that really normalizes suicidal ideation which i do think is an important thing because there Mm. are plenty of people that do that do have that that aren't necessarily 
you know, hugely at risk of actually doing anything, but but have they, you know, talk about black dog syndrome or things like that, people that have thoughts about mortality and thoughts about, you know, the the power that we all have as humans about ending that. Yeah. And, th- and that's really what the song the song's about and this consideration and he thinks about you and 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 actually it's almost sung from the point of view of the devil on the guy's shoulder of going go on get the razor blade keep saying in the song pick up the razor blade go on put it are you gonna shave or are you gonna do it you know so there there is this uh again this mischief yeah in it um and actually i really like the fact that that it 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 satirizes and it 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 you know humor it, it adds humor to this very serious issue and i think and it not in a way that lightens it or belittles it but actually in a way that normalizes it and, and yeah it's just one that that yeah. stuck out to me um really lovely i yeah. also had a little mention of um the word the, the song slow which is again massively popular live mm. one um and that is all about sex really um i always liked it slow i never liked it fast with me with you it's got to go with me it's got to last um it's not because I'm old. It's not the life I led. I always liked it slow. That's what my mama said. Um, and then a last one, just uh, I like to take my time. I like to linger as it flies. I, a weekend on your lips, a lifetime in your eyes. <laughs> and I thought, God, I wonder how many women who knew Leonard Cohen would resonate with that last uh, last line. There's a great story Suzanne Vega says about um, uh, spending time with Cohen writing and and that he invited her to, uh, at one point when he was living out in California and invited her to where to where he was living out there and, and they were outside by the pool writing and he picked up the guitar and uh, was 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 playing and she said by the by the end of the song that literally when he started the song there was like no one around this pool they thought there were only people there by the end of the song it was like 20 bikini clad women <laughs> oh, just wow. swooning over him and he's and apparently he just completely didn't acknowledge them at all and apparently she leaned over and said are you aware that there's 20 beautiful women around you and apparently just without like looking down from looking up from his guitar she went works every time <laughs> <laughs> there you go um but yeah so again a, a real sense of fun um and um as many people said such a a wicked cheeky sense of humor that he had um uh, yeah and i think the only last one that i wanted to 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 mention briefly is is anthem on the future as well the future being this very much state of the world in the early 90s this this a uh, turbulent time that was happening um uh, and a lot of the songs reflecting that we talked about democracy um uh but uh it's it's a lyric i think from from anthem on that album uh and it just says uh uh there is a crack a crack that's how the light gets in and i just that's that real optimism at the end of this album mm. of of uh of talking about you know the world's scary at the moment there's but somewhere there's this crack and that's where the light's going to come through and again yeah so much optimism in his writing and uh again very very pertinent for us today and uh, in general but also in a global pandemic yeah. um you know i wonder what he would make of all of this absolutely probably um, something probably some witty yeah one-liner yeah uh buried in the song yeah um yeah, so I, I mean, I, I think to sum up, um, you know, there's a, a, a great quote um, from um, one of the A&R guys at Columbia um, in, the, in the late 70s, you know, it was mentioned on the documentary as well, who said to him, yeah, we know you're great, Leonard, 
but we don't know if you're any good. <laughs> and I think that's, that is the mentality, I think, of a lot of, of people. And that's the reason why we've done this podcast. So hopefully we can change that mentality, this idea that we know he's this revered person. We know that all the music geeks love him. Mm-hmm. But is he any good? Because he just sounds all sad and mopey to me. Yeah. And going, well, hopefully uh, in the last hour and a half, we've done something to kind of dispel i mean who knows idea. if we're that influential dave but um but yeah i think yeah. there's there's definitely a lot to be said for that and well, hope, yeah. hope, if that if you take away anything from this i would agree uh wholeheartedly have a listen again yeah. and um and 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 uh have a look for that joy absolutely and i'd actually open that out wider um one of the reasons i was really excited to do this is is because i do think we as people have a tendency to um uh, with with music and and film and a lot of arts things to to not stray outside of our comfort zone that much to to stick to ideas and notions we had when we were very young about yeah. types of music genres of music we like and and make assumptions based on things that we read in the media or or this kind of idea of you know uh, the world and society having a collective consciousness that that decides that such and such is is this type of singer or such and such is that type of music yeah. and 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 I would say, if you know, yes, Cohen, but also wider. If you're someone that thinks, you know, oh, hip hop's never been for me, um, find your key in, find your way in. Uh, um, you know, uh, uh, listen to, um, you know, Tricky from Massive Attack, for example. Yeah. Uh, and and that would be a very different kind of hip hop. Uh, my favorite hip hop artist, Most Def, who's also an actor. A uh, very different kind of of hip hop to the ones that you're thinking uh possibly thinking of um, yeah but i mean also if you like kate tempest and, and spoken word poetry yeah, yeah. then you know that you're probably gonna love yeah. a lot of 90s hip hop yeah um you know country and western go and go and listen to johnny cash and go and listen to you know so many um great people who've been influenced you know Lennon cohen himself started off in country and Western. you know there's there's these genres of music that i think people turn their backs on and, and there's always a key in um uh, speaking of that um we're very lucky um to have uh guested on a few different music related podcasts so it's a nice one to do on ourselves yeah um but one just want to mention um is a is one called song by song yeah. um and it's in the entire back catalogue of tom waits uh which is also a very divisive figure some yeah. people love his stuff some people hate yeah. it some people like particular eras um, so if you are interested in this kind of discussion, yeah. uh, really getting into the nuts and bolts of, of songs by interesting and French people, then I would recommend checking that yeah. one out. And I mean, Tom Waits is someone who's gone on record many times of, of uh, his adoration for Leonard Cohen and very much a contemporary, but also influenced hugely by, by him as well in a lot of his own work. So yeah, definitely, definitely check that one out. Um, so yeah, uh, we thank hope... you very much chris thank you mum. uh yeah this has been uh, a really really fun one to do um and uh we've got um in a few weeks time another music orientated one uh about intros and outros that should <laughs> be so the list really so really long. great fun um <laughs> but for next week it's the uh uh seminal 1980s uh classic the breakfast club that we're going to be looking at i can't um, wait to watch of, that again oh one of my favorite films of all time it's it's uh john always at his best yeah absolutely um so yeah now we're just going to leave you with uh some words from the man himself uh what you're about to hear was about uh, only three weeks before he he passed away in november of 2016 and uh just leaving you with uh, a bit of of the humor and and the joy of the man himself um so yeah thank you all very much for listening uh, as always you can 
Find us on Twitter at Macabre Podcaster. You can get in touch with us via email, podcastermacabre at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook, fb.me forward slash podcastermacabre. And of course, you can like, share and subscribe and listen wherever you get your podcasts from, be that Apple, Spotify, Google Play or any other platform. And we are, of course, as always, still open for new Patreon members. So if you do have the spare change, you want to chuck £5 a month and get us to do a podcast like this. Remember, it doesn't have to be TV or film reviews. It could be something like we've done tonight. It could yeah. be whatever you want. Um, so the Patreon link, as always, is in the bottom of this episode's bio. So do click it and uh, give us a challenge if you want to and if you're able to. Um, so all that remains to be said is I have been David Shopland. And I've been Callum Hughes. This has been Any Requests, and we will see you next time. Bye. I said I was uh, ready to die recently, you know. And I think I was exaggerating. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> one is given to self-dramatization from time to time. <laughs> I intend to live forever. <laughs> <laughs>